This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you're listening in. Hey, as we wind down 2021, we have this month been talking about the elephant in the room. It's We've been talking about inflation. That's the topic of my December special report. Inflation will continue, why it will continue, and what to do about it. If you'd like to get a copy of this special report, all you need to do is visit the website requestyourreport.com. I'll be glad to send you this report this month along with some bonus information. Again, the report, inflation will continue, why it will continue, and what to do about it. To get your copy of this special December report, just go to requestyourreport.com, and we'll be glad again to send you that report along with some bonus information. In that vein, the Wall Street Journal ran an article this past week. The headline, U.S. inflation hit a 39-year high in November. Consumer prices were up 6.8% from one year ago on a year-over-year basis. Now, let me give you just a little bit from that article, and I quote, The Labor Department said the Consumer Price Index, which measures what consumers pay for goods and services, rose 6.8% in November from the same month a year ago. That was the fastest pace since 1982. Now, as we'll talk about here in a moment, the Consumer Price Index, which is the metric that's used to determine what the inflation rate is, the consumer price index has been changed, or I might use the word manipulated, to make the reported data look better many times since 1982. In fact, there's another change being made here in January. So despite the fact that this metric has been manipulated, that the the, the metric is flawed, that it's changed over the years, we have the highest official inflation rate in 39 years, and it's the sixth straight month in which inflation topped 5%, and that's year over year. Now, the increase in prices for new vehicles came in at 11.1% in November, year over year, That's the largest on record, as were the jumps in price for men's apparel, living room, kitchen, and dining room furniture, and fast food restaurant prices surged 7.9% last month, which was the sharpest on record as well. Now, when you look at how inflation has been accelerating, And we take a look at what the numbers are on a year-over-year basis. As I mentioned, in November, the increase was 6.81%. Now, if I go back to January of 2021, it was 1.4%. So in the course of this year, the officially reported inflation rate month or year-over-year by month has risen from 1.4% to 6.81%. The large increases began really in June with a 5.39% increase, and not surprisingly, that's about 15 months after currency creation started in earnest. So there's definitely a time lag here when you take a look at the point at which currency creation accelerates 
and the point at which that is reflected in the actual inflation rate. Now, I'm going to be interviewing on next week's program Mr. John Williams of Shadow Stats. Uh, John's time has been very much in demand because John actually calculates the inflation rate using the methodology that was in place in 1980. Now, we'll get John's explanation as to how he does that on next week's program, but for this week, suffice it to say that that real inflation rate is about 15%. So that's the amount of manipulation that's taken place in the consumer, consumer price index over time. Now, rather than address the cause of accelerating inflation, policymakers are once again changing the way inflation numbers are calculated. Now, I look for more of this to occur as real as opposed to reported inflation accelerates. But new reporting methodologies will not change reality. Now, there was a press release issued by the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics dealing with the Consumer Price Index. And I'm going to read to you from this press release just a couple sentences. Quote, Starting in January 2022, weights for the Consumer Price Index will be calculated based on consumer expenditure data from 2019 and 2020. The BLS considered interventions but decided to maintain normal procedures. Now, when you look at the Consumer Price Index, there are three adjustments that can take place. One is an adjustment for substitution. So, for example, if the price of a luxury car were to increase a significant amount, then that luxury car might come out of the basket of goods and services that is used to calculate the inflation rate, and an economy car might get plugged in in its place. It's substitution. If the price of something goes up too much, there is a team of bureaucrats that says nobody's going to buy that, so let's substitute a lesser-priced item. The second adjustment that can be made is an adjustment called a hedonic adjustment. Well, this is really an adjustment for convenience or for pleasure. So to show my age, and uh, I have used this as an example on the program in the past, so if you've heard it before, please forgive me. But I remember when a television did not have a remote control and you had to get up and walk across the room to turn it on. And then if you didn't like the channel that you were watching, you got up across the room again and turned the channel. Well, when the remote control came out, the price of a television went up and you couldn't really buy a television without a remote control once it became mainstream. But yet, even though the television cost more, there, there was an hedonic adjustment for the pleasure of not having to get up and walk across the room. That was worth money. So even though the price went up, the reported inflation rate did not. And then there's weightings. And the weightings are changed periodically as well. So, for example, health care accounts for about 20% of U.S. Uh, GDP, as I recall, 
and it's represented in a much larger or much smaller percentage in the weightings of the consumer price index. Well, now the weightings are going to change. The Bureau of Labor Statistics said that starting in January of 2022, they're going to go back and look at where did people actually spend their money and adjust the weightings accordingly. Now, on the surface, that might sound like a rational thing to do. It might sound reasonable. But think about it. If prices start to go up, people automatically adjust their spending, most people do anyway, to buy lower-cost alternatives. So, in essence, by changing the weightings, they're actually not only changing the weightings, but they're also automatically including substitution. So this, again, will, report it, will, will result in the reported inflation rate being more favorable. But it's not going to change reality. We are experiencing inflation in just about every country around the world and in almost all the products that we buy. Now, earlier in this segment, I mentioned used vehicle prices. And there is a large automobile auction company uh, called Mannheim. And Mannheim is so large that they have their own used vehicle value index. So they track the price of used vehicles and they have an index. Now, just for reference, this index stood at about 97 or 98 in 2009. The index now is north of 230. So let's just say it's gone from 100 in 2009 to 230 in 2021. That means that a used car that you would have spent $10,000 for in 2009, today you're going to spend about $23,000 for. And if you look at the Mannheim used vehicle value index year over year, it's up 40 Now, as I'll talk about in the last segment of today's program, inflation is not just a phenomenon that we're experiencing here in the United States. It's being experienced all around the world. Japan's wholesale inflation index hits a record high as well. Mexico, same story. Brazil, Same story. Venezuela, as we'll talk about in the last segment, many parts of the country of Venezuela has citizens using gold flakes as currency because the Venezuelan government readjusted the bolivar to adjust for inflation. They lopped some zeros off the bill, so they didn't have to print a 100 million bolivar bill. I'll talk about that more in the last segment of today's program. However, if you are just joining me, I'd like to invite you to get the December free report by going to requestyourreport.com. That's www.requestyourreport.com. The report is titled, Inflation Will Continue, Why It Will Continue, and What to Do About It. And again, requestyourreport.com is where you go to get the report. And when you request that report, I'll also include some bonus information. Again, just go to the website requestyourreport.com. Let me know where to mail this. I'll be glad to do so at no cost or obligation. And if you're not participating in the Monday Headline Roundup webinar that I do, uh, you can go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com 
and participate in the replay. I'll be back after these words with my special guest, Mr. Michael Pento. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I have the pleasure of chatting once again today on the program with Mr. Michael Pento. Longtime listeners will recognize uh, Michael uh, as the founder and president of Pento Portfolio Strategies. He is also uh, the host of the Midweek Reality Check podcast. You can learn more about his work and uh, check out the podcast, which I would encourage you to do at pentoport.com. And Michael, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me back on, Dennis. Pleasure to be with you. So, Michael, uh, the Fed's talking about tapering. For our listeners that aren't familiar, uh, they, they want to, uh, they're, they're allegedly going to slow the rate at which they're creating new currency. Do you believe them? I do. I, I really do. And and the reason why I, I do is because they're actually uh, victims of their own quote-unquote success. You know, you remember following the wake of the Great Recession, they were on this asinine pursuit of 2% inflation. But you have to remember, since 1913, the Fed was chartered with the ability to provide us with stable money and 0% inflation. Well, somehow that morphed into well, the economy cannot survive <laughs> unless we have a 2% inflation rate. Well, they were trying and trying over and over again, and they were sending you know, $85 billion a month to Wall Street, and Wall Street would just buy you know, more bonds and more stocks and more real estate, and you, real estate, and you have massive bubbles and all those things. But it never got to the consumer price inflation. Consumer was left out. It was just a Wall Street inflationary phenomenon. So they consistently went below 2%. But then something happened, the outbreak of the great Wuhan virus, COVID-19. And then they, I guess they stumbled onto the secret of inflation. We can create inflation by paying people trillions of dollars to stay home and do nothing. And in other words, you know, lock down the economy eliminate all of the goods and services that these people were producing, but give them all of that buying power. And voila, you know, now inflation is running the way they measure it at 6.2%. And I think the CPI print on Friday could be even higher, close to 6.5%, 6.7% year over year for the November figure. So that means inflation is now running at three and a half times higher than their inane target of 2%. So the Fed is worried about it. They have a horrific reputation. That's true. But whatever reputation they have, they're going to try to save. (laughs) So they are going to try to end this taper. They're going to try to expedite the tapering pace. So they're going from $120 billion a month. The average over the last 18 months has been $250 billion. But let's just say from $120 billion to zero, by March. So from December to March, Dennis, they're going to wind down that entire tapering. That is the that is the steepest monetary cliff we have ever seen. And they're going to do it because they are trying to get the table set 
for interest rate hikes and normalization. Now, to, to your point, if I could read your mind, I know and you know that they'll never get to their normalization or their, you know, R star, whatever the hell they want to talk, call it, you know, normal interest rates they think now is 2.5% on the Fed funds rate. You know and I know that they'll never get there. But on the way to that goal, they're going to crush the repo market, the high yield market, the stock market, the real estate market, and the economy. So no, they won't get there, but they're going to feign an interest in trying. So, Michael, let's just say that they, they start down this path. Uh, and, and, you know, when you look at the, the math, um, you know, the, the math really doesn't lie. Uh, the U.S. government now is operating with like a, you know, 41% of, of expenditures are, are, are deficit expenditures funded largely by the Fed. Um, how does all that play out as far as in the economy? Don't we have to go into this extreme deflationary period? Of course. Well, that's, you know, the, the whole predicate of my firm is looking at the rate of change of inflation and growth. And you have to understand where to invest based upon that macroeconomic conditions, those macroeconomic conditions. So, for instance, if you look at Kathy Wood's ARC ETF, it, you know, the average stock down there is 20% in the last couple of weeks. Two of their stocks were down 80%. They had a little bounce back in the last couple of days. But what does Kathy Woods invest in? She invests in disruptors. A lot of these companies have very, very high P.E. ratios. Some of them have no earnings at all. And it's a very volatile sector. Well, these volatile sectors don't do well when the rate of change of growth and inflation are slowing rapidly. So you have to know where to invest. And that's what my model does, the inflation, deflation, the economic cycle model. It helps you avoid some of these pitfalls. So, so for instance, right now, at Pentaport, we think bond and bond proxies might actually do well for a while, especially as we head into 2000, you know, 2022 and the first and second quarter. Because look what's going to happen, Dennis. Earnings growth is going to crash from the mid 40% range to say 5 or 6%. That is a second derivative change that's massive, a massive slowdown in the growth of the economy and in the growth of earnings. And on top of that, we just talked about the biggest monetary cliff we have ever seen. The Fed has never ended QE this rapidly and from that high of a, a level, that high of a degree. So we have, we could have a big problem in the second quarter, and I'm not looking for just disinflation then. I'm looking for outright deflation as the repo market and the credit markets freeze up once again. That's a, that's a very big risk in 2022. And when the stock market falls, it's not just going to fall gracefully. You know, at 205% of GDP, that is the valuation of the stock market. We have never seen anything close to that in history. As a reference point, you know, in 2000, it was about 140, 145% of GDP, the total market cap of equities to the underlying economy. Now we're at 205%. And I'll remind you that in the year 2000, the NASDAQ lost 80%, over 80% of its value. And the S&P 500 lost 50%. So we have a very dangerous situation where we have the most over-leveraged, highest margin debt on record, the highest stock market valuation ever, running into the biggest fiscal and monetary cliff ever. Now, that's not a guarantee things are going to fall apart, but you better have a 
model that can identify such a situation happening and have both hands on the wheel because your buy and hold money manager isn't going to help you. Well, if you're just joining me today, I'm chatting today with Mr. Michael Pento. Uh, Michael is the president and founder of Pento Portfolio Strategies. He's also the host of the Midweek Reality Check podcast. You can learn more about both at pentoport.com. Michael, I mean, it seems like we're in this vicious cycle here. So say we get this uh, deflationary event. We see this this massive stock market correction. Doesn't the Fed go back to really the, the only tool they have left in the toolbox, which is more currency creation? Of course. But at what point, Dennis? So, you know, I don't have the tolerance. Me and my investors don't have the tolerance for a 30, 50% decline in the stock market. And then Jerome Powell has to, you know, wake up. He has the epiphany of saying, oh, gee, the credit markets are freezing. Now I've got a problem. Um, I'm looking at consumer price inflation in the sixes, and yet I have to go back into QE. I mean, this is this is a you know a very difficult decision to abide by the Federal Reserve because I mean their credibility has they have no credibility with me, but they're trying to maintain some semblance of credibility to fight inflation. So do you remember last month they said they were going to taper assets at the pace of fifteen billion dollars a month? Well, a month later they're saying, wait, hold on a second, this is going to be announced next week probably. Most uh, most assuredly, Jerome Powell and the FOMC is going to say. We are going to double the pace of tapering to $30 billion a month drawdown of new asset purchases and the size and the increase of their monetary base and the balance sheet. So, I mean, this is going to be a very difficult turn that by April of 2022, perhaps, he's going to have to come out and say, well, wait a second. We're going to forget about the fact that we just ended the taper. We're going to go back into QE. Now, if he does that, I'll, I'll just throw a couple of things at you. Number one is, what does that do to the dollar? What does that do to the confidence that investors have of our sovereign bond market? I mean, our sovereign bond market, if you look at the 10-year treasury, it's yielding 1.4% in a world where inflation is running, as we just mentioned, above 6 Now, if Jerome Powell comes and says, guess what? sovereign bond market investors internationally. We are going to destroy our currency at the same time I'm telling you that the rate of inflation, which was headed from perhaps six and a truncated basis down to zero, we're going to go back to six and then we're going to keep on going higher from there. So how in the world can you maintain a one and a half percent 10 year treasury in that environment when there's no faith in the currency and there's no faith in the bond market? Here's another thing. Um, just because the Fed goes back into money printing, that's no guarantee that your stock market's going to rebound right away. I mean, look at what's going on in Japan. They're still not back to the level that it was in 1989. And China-Shanghai composite is still way below where it was in 2007. So I'm not going to take a lot of solace in the fact, well, hey, well, the Fed will just come back and print a lot of money and everybody's going to be happy. Well, no. What happens if interest rates start to skyrocket because people lose faith? International investors lose faith in the credibility of our central bank to support our dollar and our bond market. Well, I'm chatting today with Mr. Michael Pento. He is the host of the Midweek Reality Check podcast. You can learn more at pentoport.com. I'll continue my conversation with Michael when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. 
I'm Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I am chatting today with the president and founder of Pento Portfolio Strategies and the host of the Midweek Reality Check podcast, Mr. Michael Pento. And uh, Michael, let's just jump back in uh, where we left off in the last segment. Uh, I've interviewed a number of folks that, uh, you know, as you're talking about uh, what does it do to the dollar when the Fed starts currency creation again or QE again? And uh, I've got a number of uh, of guests that uh, have the perspective that this boom and bust cycle ends at some point with a hyperinflationary outcome. Would you agree with that or would you have a different perspective? Well, when you say end, I mean, the, the again, the predicate of the IDEC portfolio is to identify these massive swings between inflation and deflation. We've had many of them over the past uh, couple of dozen years. So um, I predict more and more of that. So again, uh, we were geared towards rising inflation earlier this year, and now we're switching more towards a dis- disinflationary uh, hedge in the in the portfolio. I think that disinflation becomes deflationary next year, like we just talked about. And then in response to that, if we are correct, and that Jerome Powell has no choice but to say, hey, the credit markets are frozen, Stock market is in free fall. Real estate prices are in free fall. Um, we have, by the way, I just want to mention that there's $6 trillion in additional business debt in the last 10 years. You know, it took from World War II all the way to 2010 to get the first $6 trillion. That was 65 years. In the last 10 years, we've added another $6 trillion. And it's the worst kind of debt, Dennis. It's mostly... Barely investment grade or junk bond debt. So you know, the, the economy will be in free fall if this happens, if the credit markets freeze again and the junk market, you know, the junk bond market shuts down. So the Fed is going to have no choice but to go back into massive Monday printing in, and this is the key, in conjunction with the Treasury. The Treasury and the Fed will work once again hand in hand. It's called helicopter money. It's called universal basic income. And if we have some kind of perpetual protracted UBI in the trillions of dollars per annum, you're going to get your hyperinflation. But look at history. That's not the end of the story. After hyperinflation, which requires a totally different regime of investing to to profit from it, you buy your base metals, you buy your energy, you buy your yield curve expanders. On the other side of that is a possible complete reset of the currency and of the debt structure. So that's deflationary. So again, it's all about knowing what's happening in these inflation and deflation cycles, which, by the way, are becoming much more intense and are happening with more frequent duration, uh, uh, more intensity and with, with less duration between the two cycles. So, Michael, you in the first segment mentioned uh, you, you, you shared with us the uh, valuation of stocks comparing the, 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 the market cap to gross domestic product. And you, you mentioned that we are now, uh, as if I did the math correctly, about 50 percent higher than we were at the tech stock bubble peak. And that's at the present time. So what are you telling your, your investors and your podcast listeners as to your forecast for stocks? Well, we're getting more defensive. I mean, we have a couple of things that are happening, you know, next week, as I mentioned, um, we have the FOMC meeting when they double the pace of the tapering. We have this huge second derivative crash 
in inflation and growth coming by the second quarter of next year. So when you when you just mentioned the valuation of equities, which is into the you know thermosphere, you look at price to sales, things that you can't fudge as easily as just as PE ratios, which are already in of themselves very, very elevated. You have to get defensive. And that's what I do here. I mean, I run a long short strategy. So we have taken on two short positions as a hedge going into the new year, where I think there'll be a ton of deferred tax law selling. You know, since the, the nadir of the um, March low in 2020, the stock market is up a significant amount. And that's been deferred. Now, don't you believe it's very possible that people understand that we have the most hawkish central bank as far as monetary policy is concerned in the, in the very truncated period between, say, January and April? You're going to have a very aggressive Fed that's winding down the taper to zero from $120 billion and setting the table for interest rate hikes. In fact, if you listen to the, the members of the FOMC, they're talking about Two and a half percent on the overnight lending rate, the Fed funds rate, by the start of 2024, they're looking for two or three rate hikes in 2022 and the balance in 2023. I don't think they'll ever get there. Again, my prediction is that the credit markets and the junk bond markets freeze before then, which causes this reversal. But that's why you don't just have a set it and forget it portfolio. You know, I hear people on CNBC, Bloomberg all the time say, listen, this is what you need to do. You maybe, you know, you overweight some Chinese stocks instead of uh, uh, domestic stocks. Or, you know, perhaps we just go small caps and mid caps instead of U.S. large caps, like I heard today on Bloomberg. Uh, this is just tinkering around the edges. You know, when you in enter into what I call sector one of my inflation, deflation and economic cycle spectrum of investing, which is one of deflation and recession slash depression, everything, Dennis, everything goes to a correlation of one. Everything goes down except for cash, shorts, short-term treasuries, and, um, and, um, and excuse me, the phone was ringing, so I forgot my train. So it's cash, shorts, short-term treasuries, and the U.S. dollar. Those are the only four things that work when you have a sector one condition. So Michael, let me shift gears for a, a moment here. Uh, you know, as we've seen the the CPI, uh, you know, reach 6% plus year over year, um, John Williams, who's been a frequent guest here on the program as well, uh, says that if we calculate the inflation rate the way they did pre-1980, we're, we're pushing 15%. Um, why, in your view, have gold and silver not reacted as you know, many people would have expected them to. We haven't seen gold and silver prices, you know, to, to rocket to, to to the same levels as maybe oil and energy. Well, what's the explanation in your view? Well, there's two, but the lesser of the explanations is that I think a lot of cryptocurrencies has drained some energy away from gold, but that's just a you know an ancillary effect. The main reason why gold has not responded is because gold does not do well in inflation when growth is also accelerating. And if you look what happened this year, we had the reopening of the economy. You had inflation rising to levels that we haven't seen since the 1980s. But you also had, because of the supposed optimism about the ending of the pandemic, 
the reopening of the global economy, you had accelerating growth, which causes what, Dennis? It causes bond yields to rise faster than inflation. And that is a rise in real interest rates. And that has always been the bane of gold. Now, I think this turns around next year. And to surprise maybe to your ears or your listeners' ears, gold might have a spectacular 2022. And you'll say, well, why? Why is that? Why do you say that when you think disinflation will be the predominant factor? Disinflation and deflation. Because gold loves that. Gold loves falling real interest rates. So if economic growth is falling faster than inflation falls, you're going to get falling real interest rates. So you're going to have a, an, a, an occurrence where even though you think, well, wait, let me, let me think, this, think this out intuitively. Inflation is falling. Let me sell my gold. That's going to be the exact bottom of gold because, again, real interest rates – the direction of real interest rates is the primary driver of precious metals. Well, I want to follow up on something you said, that uh, you thought maybe cryptocurrencies were uh, taking a little bit of the attention off gold, just to paraphrase. Um, what's your forecast for, for, for Bitcoin, for Ethereum, for, for, for cryptos in general? <laughs> they, they seem to be, you know, that they're under attack by, by governments. China just cracked down again, and... Uh, you know, I guess in my mind, uh, it's a digital unit of air. There's nothing tangible. Um, but what's your take? Okay. Well, um, first of all, I'm the last person you should ask about the direction of <laughs> cryptocurrencies because, I mean, unlike most people, I can admit when I'm wrong. I've been dead wrong about the direction. But the 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 ideas that I have, as far as there being almost zero worth to them, will be eventually borne out. So. I mean, let's just let, let's just spend a couple of minutes on them since you brought up, you brought it up. See, I know it takes about fifteen hundred dollars an ounce, uh, fifteen hundred dollars to pull an ounce of gold from the ground. I know that it takes energy, capital, human you know human energy, physical energy, pressure, uh, 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 carbon energy to take an ounce of gold from the ground, and it takes about the same, maybe a, a, you know, about the same, to mine a new unit of Bitcoin. So, you know, I know that I have a floor under gold of about $1,500 an ounce, but $1,500 a unit on Bitcoin is much lower <laughs> than its current price per, per, per uh, token, which is about, I, I, as this recording, about 40, you know, $46,000. That's number one. So you have a lot of air underneath Bitcoin. But when you think about Bitcoin, and that's all. What what is it really? It's sixty-four alphanumeric characters, which are electrons that sit on your hard drive, or you can cold store the you can cold store them too. Um, so there's nothing really of value in an electron that sits on your hard drive that's alphanumeric, your private key. But the only thing that gives it value, Dennis, is the fact. Well, hey, I can use this to move a token across a blockchain, and there's an, a virtually unlimited number of blockchains that can be created, by the way. So there's a, a virtual unlimited number of cryptocurrencies that can be created. But what gives it value is that it's decentralized. That's the main value. I could move my coin. You can't do anything about it. Governments can't take it from me. 
and it's an immutable transaction. It's anonymous, it's immutable, and it's decentralized. But wait a second. In order to get their value of $60,000 a unit, $65,000 a unit in the case of Bitcoin at the high, these decentralized anonymous you know, tokens want to become and need to become centralized by Wall Street. And when they become centralized, Dennis, they lose the only thing that gives them any value. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I, it's one or the other. It's either a decentralized, uh, anonymous, immutable transaction, which has some value in illicit transactions or to move your money out of a country that's going into hyperinflation. In that case, it's probably worth a few hundred dollars a unit, maybe more in that case of hyperinflation. Um, or it's... It, it's all a facade. I mean, I can't, I can't, if the government can take away my Bitcoin at will, and they have confiscated Bitcoins numerous times, the FBI has come and said, hey, you've held this person ransom, and I know who you are because I could see you on the blockchain because you're now, you've now become centralized because Wall Street will have it no other way. They know exactly who you are and what you own, right? Think, think about it. And then it loses all of its value. So uh, be careful when you buy a unit of cryptocurrencies when they're so far elevated in price above their intrinsic value, which is, in the case of Bitcoin, about maybe $1,000 per unit. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. My guest today has been Mr. Michael Pento. He's the president and founder of Pento Portfolio Strategies. And I'd encourage you to check out his podcast, The Midweek Reality Check, as well. You can learn more at pentoport.com. And, Michael, always a pleasure to have you on the program. Enjoyed catching up with you today, and uh, hopefully we can chat again down the road. Always a pleasure, Dennis. Thank you again. We will return after these words. I'm Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. And thanks to Mr. Michael Pento for joining us on this week's show. If you've not yet requested your copy of the December special report titled Inflation Will Continue, Why It Will Continue, and What to Do About It, go to requestyourreport.com and I'll be glad to send you a copy of the report along with some bonus information. Again, the website, requestyourreport.com. Now, as I discussed in the first segment, even though U.S. inflation in November hit a 39-year high officially, the United States is not the only country dealing with inflation because other central banks around the world have mirrored Fed policy and engaged in quantitative easing or some other program that really essentially is currency creation. Now, Japan, according to Reuters, saw a bigger inflation number in November than the United States. As I reported in the first segment, year over year in November, the U.S. inflation rate was officially 6.81%. Japan's wholesale inflation hit a record of 9% in November, which was the ninth straight month there had been significant inflation. 
And of course, uh, that causes Japan a bit of a problem uh, in that it imports just about everything that it needs to consume. Now, if you take a look at how it's affecting uh, Japan's trade, an index measuring yen-based import prices rose, get this, 44.3% in November from a year earlier. Now, it's not just Japan grappling with inflation. Uh, Brazil and Mexico as well, as reported by Wolf Richter this past week. The Central Bank of Brazil has began to raise interest rates, has begun to raise interest rates, I should say, um, in order to try to get inflation under control. The Bank of Mexico has mirrored the Fed's rhetoric uh, using the transitory narrative, that despite the fact that Jerome Powell retired the term transitory recently and said this inflation will likely be more persistent. Now, consumer price inflation in Mexico spiked to 7.4% year over year. It was 6.2% in October. The Bank of Mexico's target inflation rate is 3%, and inflation is now surging broadly, and it has reached the highest point that it has been in the last 20 years. Despite the fact that the Bank of Mexico has raised its interest rate four times for at 25 basis points each, so now the, uh, the interest rate in Mexico is 5%, and it's likely it's going to raise the rate another 25 basis points uh, to try to get inflation under control. Now, if you take a look at what's going on in Brazil, October numbers were 10.7%. November's numbers are going to be released. It's likely going to be much higher. So this is the case all around the world. And this should not come as a surprise to anyone that's been listening to this program. We have been saying for a very long time that currency creation would result in consumer price inflation and now we are seeing it. Of course, at a certain point, the inflation will stop, and then the, the, the debt excesses will kick in, and we will go into a deflationary environment. And again, all this is outlined in the bonus information that we will send you along with this month's special report. Uh, if you've not yet requested your copy of the special report, just go to requestyourreport.com. Be very glad to send you a copy of the report as well as some bonus information that will explain all this and give you some strategies to consider for your own individual situation. Now, as I mentioned in the first segment, the country of Venezuela is now dealing with a hyperinflation. The Venezuelan government recently lopped six zeros from its hyperinflating currency, the Bolivar. This is reported by Mises. The highest denomination currency note of 1 million bolivars is worth less than 25 cents. And the government of Venezuela said, okay, we're no longer going to have a 1 million bolivar note. We're just going to make that a 1 bolivar note. And they just lopped six zeros off. So now the 1 bolivar note is worth 25 cents. Now, this doesn't really do anything to get inflation under control. It's purely psychological. It's interesting, though, that in some parts of Venezuela, 
where there are mines, gold flakes are actually now being used as currency. This almost always happens. In this part of Venezuela, you can have a half a gram of gold, and it'll buy you a one-night stay in a local hotel. A meal for two at a Chinese restaurant and a haircut will cost you a quarter gram of gold and an eighth of a gram of gold, respectively. Many shops are equipped with scales to weigh the gold flakes, and many merchants will not accept anything other than gold flakes. That's what happens in a crack-up boom. We describe this all in this month's special report titled Inflation Will Continue, Why It Will Continue, and, and What to Do About It. All you need to do to get your copy of this report is visit requestyourreport.com. The website, again, is requestyourreport.com. And I encourage you to also go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com where you can listen to the podcast version of this radio program and you can also participate in the Headline Roundup webinar. That's my program for this week. Hope you got something you can use. I'll be back again next week.